I like these songs. Let me talk to my friends at CBS Records and all this kind of thing. And to cut a longish story shorter, um, I was offered a recording contract with CBS in France. I wow. was offered a chance to have a, a residency at a famous sort of cafe bar to sing there. And of course, I was then faced with a major dilemma. The people who really are those that, you know, you and I would say, oh, wow, you know, superstar or absolute, you know, national whatever. They are the ones that make you believe that you are actually, that they are interested in you. They make it feel as if you've known them for ages uh, and, you know, they're almost your best friend. Life is what you make it, though some have got it made. You see your chance and take it while you can. Life is for the keeping as long as it will last. So make your dreams and look out for that promised land. I'm Farah Shamas. Welcome to Hotel Talk. We hope you enjoy listening to this friendly conversation between people connected by real life in hotels. Welcome back, everyone. And today I have with us John Vickers, who many of you that have lived in Cyprus or traveled here over the last few decades will remember from radio, um, his time uh, with Time Out Cyprus, with, oh my goodness, there's so many things, and now currently with Gold Magazine. So I'm going to let John tell you all about his role. He's currently the senior executive editor of Gold Magazine, but he has done so much more and been so prevalent and instrumental in the media in Cyprus over the last, I'd say, four decades, or is it more? Five. Five. Wow, John. <laughs> so John, welcome. Thank you so thank much for you. coming. No, pleasure to, to be here. And thank you for that uh, lovely, flattering introduction. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, ask me some questions. And oh I'll my tell you. goodness! Well, we were just saying before we started that you're normally the one doing the interviews. That's so true. This is quite nice that the tables turn for a few moments. So um, the first thing that I'd like to ask, really, is to travel back in time and go to the beginning, and for you to say, tell everyone about your life, and most importantly, how did you end up on the sunny island? Okay. Well. Um... I'm I'm English. Both my parents are English. And I, I simply say this because a lot of people who have heard me over the years, and, and especially speaking Greek, assume that I must have you know, some sort of Cypriot blood or, or, or at least one Greek parent, which is not, not the case. I, I was born in a, a town called Retford in, in England, in Nottinghamshire. And uh, I went to school in, in Lincoln and later in Scunthorpe, both in Lincolnshire. Um, I have uh, two sisters and a brother, kind of a normal childhood, I guess, uh, during which time um, I became very interested in music, which has since played quite a, a large part in, in everything I've done. Uh, so I still remember, for example, walking home one Sunday morning in 1962, and this friend of mine, we were coming from the church choir. And this friend of mine saying, oh, I just, I heard this uh, song by a new group called the Beatles and it's called Love Me Do. And he was going on and on about this song. 
And eventually I heard it and I thought, oh, that's the one he meant. Well, I wasn't very impressed. <laughs> but that was actually the start of a, an entire, you know, uh, love affair almost with the Beatles. And I sort of grew up and I can now tell you, you know, when I first heard every single they ever released and, and it had such a, a huge influence on me. Um, when I went to university to study French and Italian, um, for no particular reason other than uh, I seem to be good at it. And uh, one of my teachers said, you know, why don't you apply to do French? And I said, no, okay, why not? I mean, it seemed an easy option. In those days, I think, uh, and we're talking about late 60s now, 1968, I went to university. Um, we had the luxury of being able to go and study whatever we wanted with in my case at least, absolutely no thought of the future, really. When I came to Cyprus, one of the things that most impressed me was the fact that for, for, for numerous reasons, which I eventually discovered, um, Cypriot kids at the time were very much aware of what they needed to study in order to have a specific career. Um, and of course, in those days as well, it meant that their parents were probably going to have to make sacrifices to pay for their tuition fees and everything. I mean, with me and my friends in England, I mean, this was, we had it easy, basically. I mean, I, I had a government grant, go to university. I, it never occurred to me that I wouldn't go. Uh, not that I was especially clever. I was a bit lazy. But, um, you know, I thought that I would. And it was suggested that I could maybe do French, so I did. Applied to 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 university. I went to Leicester University, uh, which has a four year French course, and uh, the third year is spent abroad in the country. I was very lucky. Uh, this is a phrase you'll hear me say, say quite a lot, I think, um, because I was appointed at a school or a college in Nice, on the Côte d'Azur, which was wonderful, as you can imagine. And um, it was at that time. So I actually went there and I took my guitar with me because uh, I learned to play as a kid when I sort of got into the Beatles, as I told you. Friends at school taught me how to play various things. And when I went to university, one of the things I did, apart from study, was to play um, every Friday night, I think it was, in the place which was called the... I think it was the Folk and Blues Club. So I was playing, you know, songs by people like Paul Simon and Cat Stevens. No, it was Cat Stevens was later. Um, Leonard Cohen, although the sort of singer-songwriters that were coming out, 67, 68, 69. And I took my guitar to, uh, with me to Nice as well. And there, one day, I saw uh, an advert in the paper or an, an announcement in the local paper uh, about a song competition, which was being sponsored by the uh, French, the official, the public broadcaster, RTF in, in uh, France, and Charles Trenet. Now, Charles Trenet, I only knew the name. I don't know how I knew it, but I knew that he was the guy who wrote a song called La Mer which in England had become a huge hit, not only in England, worldwide, a huge hit uh, in English by Bobby Darin called Beyond the Sea. And he was the sponsor of this song 
competition. And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'd started writing a few songs and I, maybe I, why don't I just go along and see what happens? Uh, and I did. And I, I caught the train to, I think it was Antibes along the coast. I went to this uh, small radio station where they were having the auditions. And eventually it came, my turn arrived to go in and sing two songs. So I start the first one, and after about 20 seconds, you know, they <laughs> stop, stop, stop. Oh, what's wrong? Uh, monsieur, the song has songs have to be in, in French. I mean, it was obvious when you think about it. It was you know, French radio doing a song competition with a, sponsored by a great French songwriter. Um, and I sort of said, I said, oh, but, you know, it didn't say so. And I came all the way from Nice, and I think they took pity on me and said, okay, you know, let him do his songs, and off he goes. So they let me sing the first song. I said, okay, let's okay, sing the second one now. So I sang another one, and they asked for another three. And I thought, this is strange. And then I saw... All original pieces. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just me and a guitar. Mm -hmm. No, but, you, but ones that you'd written, yes, not, yes. not covers. No, okay. no, no, no. These were, yeah, they, these were, yeah, that was the mm -hmm. whole point of the thing. And I discovered that the man sitting in the, in the control room over there was actually Chaltrenet himself. And he liked what he heard. Uh, I wasn't, you know, able to take part in his competition. But he said, maybe we could do something. Uh, I like these songs. Let me talk to my friends at CBS Records and all this kind of thing. And to cut a longish story shorter, um, I was offered a recording contract with CBS in France. Wow. I was offered a chance to have a, a residency at a famous sort of cafe bar to sing there. And of course, I was then faced with a major dilemma because here I was being offered these amazing things and I had one more year to do at university. And so, you know, uh, you hear a lot about people who have succeeded in, in, in the music business and other businesses, and they talk about, you know, following your dreams, etc. I was not um, brave enough to follow my dream. Actually, I think it's be because it hadn't actually been a dream. I mean, it, it was something that happened so unexpectedly that uh, had it been something that I had been aiming at since I was, you know, a kid and that music was not just a hobby or something I liked, but I was really dying to be the next whoever, then maybe I would have said, okay, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. Mm, jump to that. Yeah. In the end, I didn't. I thought, no, I have to go back to university. If they think I've got some talent this year, they'll think the same next year. So I turned it down. But I did accompany him on a tour of Belgium and France uh, playing guitar. Wow. Which was, you know, uh, was a really interesting experience. And uh, the best part was probably going back to Nice where I'd been teaching for a year and to actually be on the stage in, in the theatre there. It was great. But anyway, I went back to university. In the meantime, uh, I should mention that um, the previous year, my second year at university, I met this very interesting Greek Cypriot woman. And um, 
we were sort of wondering what to do. And I didn't really know, you know, because I then had a, she went, came back to Cyprus uh, because she'd started a, a year ahead of me and my course was four years and hers was three. So it actually meant that we were two years apart. And so in 1971, when I was back at university, uh, it was a time to think, okay, is this relationship going to go anywhere or, you know, is that it? And I actually came over here, uh, the Christmas 71, and we decided that we would continue it. Uh, we would make something of it. So the music thing sort of, I, I gave it up, if you like, that idea. And um, I graduated, and 10 days later, I was in Cyprus. I came to Cyprus on the 19th of July, 1972, sitting next to David Bowie on the aeroplane. Wow. <laughs> he was coming for a holiday. He was coming for a holiday, yeah. Imagine. He just... Uh, he was with Famagusta, his. I can imagine. He was Kyrenia. Oh, Kyrenia. Yeah. He, he okay. well, he, his first wife Angie uh, grew up in Cyprus. Her father was involved in the uh, Hellenic mining company, and their offices were in Kyrenia. She went to school for a couple of years in Cyprus, and so for some time, uh, whenever they had you know a week off, uh, they would come here. And on that particular day, it was him, his wife, two members of the band, and they uh, went to Kyrenia and they spent a, a, a week there. He just brought out his Ziggy Stardust album, so it was kind of, you know, what an experience. Yeah, well, it was it, it was an experience, but of course, ha had it been today, I'm sure I would have plucked plucked up the courage to say, "Please, can I interview you?" But of course, then, I mean, I was just a student, you know, who liked wow. music. I knew who he was. Uh, and I have to say, I mean, he was the first person I'd ever seen in real life with orange hair. And he was the first man I'd ever seen with painted nails. It was, you know, a strange figure. I mean, uh, but this was, as I say, 1972. So he, he was in between Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust uh, albums. But, you know, I mean, I thought I, I was too scared to even say anything. You know, so I didn't. But, I mean, it's a nice thing to remember now that, you know, I mean, I traveled over and he was yeah, next to me. Definitely. <laughs> and I later actually, I did later interview his wife. I interviewed Angie Boy for the first issue of Time Out Cyprus because I was trying to find somebody with a Cypriot connection, with a Cyprus connection, uh, but who was actually a foreigner mm -hmm. or some, an international. Well yeah. Yeah. No chance of getting him, of course, at the time. But she was very willing to talk, although um, she she didn't actually want to say much about her ex husbands mm. you know, because things were not so yeah, not Which so is good fair at the enough. time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sure. But um, so yeah, so I, that is how I eventually ended up in Cyprus, not knowing what I would do. As I said, I mean, I I, I studied languages at university because I liked them and I was good at them. But I didn't really know where it was going to, to lead. Um, I may have had some sort of vague idea of, oh, maybe I'll be a translator or whatever. Uh, the one thing I thought I didn't want to do was teach, which is actually the obvious thing to do. Uh, but fairly soon after I arrived, um, the people in the neighborhood, they wanted to send their children, you know, to the English guy who came, you know, to do some lessons. So I actually ended up 
doing some teaching as well, although it wasn't my first choice. Um, but, you know, I, 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 when people say, how did you choose your prof profession? I mean, I always say, well, I don't think I actually chose it. You know, I mean, it kind of chose me. Um, people know me, as you mentioned uh, at the start, uh, from my radio programs. Uh, I was a radio listener. Of course. I mean, uh, that was how I got all my information about music from, from the radio when I was a teenager. It never occurred to me that I might ever work on the radio. I think I had possibly a rather snobbish attitude to it in the sense that, you know, you don't go to university to play records on the radio. I mean, which is kind of a crazy thing to think, but I believe I probably did think that. It wasn't something that ever occurred to me. But I came here in July. 72. In September, I saw, again, I keep seeing things. I keep seeing announcements in papers <laughs> and they lead me to strange places. I saw a, a, an announcement in the Cyprus Mail for what was described as a pop music concert in the stadium. Uh, so a big outdoor one at Lisi Village. Lisi is now in the occupied area. Um, and I thought, Ah, yeah, maybe I could go and play. I mean, I, I came here with my guitar as well. So I called the, the, the number on the, on the advert and spoke to the guy who was organizing it and said, you know, I come from England and I sing and I play guitar and I thought maybe I could take part in your concert. And he said, yeah, okay. <laughs> things, you know, I don't think things happen like that anymore, but... Um, Anyway, they, well, you followed all these paths. Well, it's amazing. So I actually, so I, I went and I took part in this in this concert, and I was introduced uh, by the organizer to an English guy who was present. He was the MC. He was presenting the whole show, and I was introduced to him, uh, and and I said, "Ah, oh, this is uh, Jim Morgan. I remember his name." Uh, he works for the Cyprus Broadcasting Corporation. Well, actually, he's leaving. Um, so they're looking for somebody else to take his... Ah, well, you're English. You know about music. Would you be interested? And I said, um, yeah, why not? I mean, it, it was just one of those things, you know, would you like to be on the radio? I mean, I love it. And you're English like that, you know. You're English and you know about so music. Many, yeah. yeah. And, and he said, well... Um, I have to go to the Cyprus Broadcasting Corporation in Nicosia next week. If you want, I can arrange for you to have a voice test. I'd never heard this phrase, voice test. But uh, I, I, it turned out to be, you know, read this news bulletin and let's see, you know, what your accent is like, I guess. So I, had, I was on my best behavior as far as my accent was concerned. And, uh, you know, I, and I did it and then I had an interview. And they said, okay, we've got this, um, th this radio program that Jim was doing. Um, it's a, a, a request program and it's broadcast to all the Middle East. And, uh, you know, would you like to do it? Sure. And so on the 1st of October in 1972, I was on the radio for the first time. And you were about, what, 22 at the time? I was, um, yeah, 22. In fact, well, October, I, my, my birthday's in September, end of September. So, so in just October, I was just 23 years old. Wow. Yeah. Fresh on the island, yeah. wondering where life would take you. And then all these doors open. It's unbelievable. You know, and, and when, when people ask me, you know, what do you like about Cyprus? I mean, apart from the obvious things like the weather and this, 
I mean, <clears throat> I at the time, and again, I'm not sure how true this is now, but at the time, I would definitely say the opportunities. I mean, it, it, it was it was a, a time when I think if you had a bit of talent in anything, you know, not necessarily to do with music or anything, uh, things were growing in Cyprus and building up that you would find something, you know, and and I, I was very fortunate, you know. There I go again, but really, I, and of course, event. I mean, the other thing was that I was. Being paid, although not a great deal, I remember my first check was forty-five pounds, <laughs> which was the which was thirty times one pound fifty, because it was one pound fifty a show. I was being I was getting at the time. Uh, it's one of those things. I mean, when you say that now, you know, I, it reminds me of when my father and my grandfather would tell me, you know, we were getting five shillings a week yeah. and this kind of stuff. But uh, at the time, it was perfectly okay. Yeah, it's all relative, exactly. Uh, but I was getting, you know money for something which, frankly, I would have done for nothing. I mean, I was being paid to do something that I really liked because I was mad about pop music. I knew about it. And so I could actually tell people about it. And although it started off as a request program, so people were actually asking, you know, please play this song by the Beatles, for mm. example. Um, it soon developed into something that. more that I did more programs afterwards with all the new releases and all and, and 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 the rock side and this kind of thing, and just as for me, the radio had been my main source of information. I mean, there were also music papers in England, which eventually you couldn't get them in Cyprus. But I sort of took it upon myself to be that source of information about music as well for the people who were listening. So. Well, it goes it back, great. doesn't it, to adding value to people's lives. And when something or someone does that, then that in itself is yeah, something I mean, people it, look it, for and appreciate. Yeah, and and it, it, it's I think it's 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 good when it's something which you went through yourself, and then at some stage, you know, you're doing it mm. again. I mean, I, I I try to do this on the on the journalist journalism side as well, and on other things. I mean. The, I know that certain people helped me become, you know, what I am today in many ways. And eventually, you know, I mean, I got to the stage where I was interviewing people for a job and wanting to help them do things. And I could tell them what I knew to make them, you know, mm -hmm. get better and, and, and to... So it's yeah, I mean it's it's a continuous circle, isn't it? You know, yeah. you're receiving and then eventually you're giving, giving back. Yeah, 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 which is amazing. So then, from the from the radio side, you ended well, up in magazines. Well, more. first of all, first of all, newspaper. I mean, having started uh, on the radio, uh, the only English language uh, newspaper at the time in Cyprus was the Cyprus Mail, which still exists, mm -hmm. of course, as you know, as the oldest paper in Cyprus. And so I sent them a letter saying, um, I noticed that you don't have a music column. And would you be interested? And I didn't get any reply at first. But then around Christmas time, I think I got myself or I was invited onto a TV program to sing a couple of songs. I'd obviously made it known that I sing as well. And I, I got, I, I was on a TV show and, you know, 
two or three days later, suddenly there was a letter from the mail saying, oh, we would be interested. So that obviously sort of helped, you know, say, oh, this guy, yeah, he seems to know about music after all. <clears throat> so I, I did a, a, a weekly music column for the Cyprus Mail for uh, seven years. And in 1979, the Cyprus Weekly opened. And basically, they sort of took me from there saying, um, we'll give you not a column, we'll give you your own page. And instead of, you know, whatever, two pounds they're giving you at the mail, we'll give you five. I mean, <laughs> so uh, I then switched over to the Cyprus Weekly and I did, was indeed the music editor of the paper. And that's where I got to do a lot of interesting interviews with, with various people over the years. Um, so that was the start. Yes. Uh, but again, it was, <clears throat> although I sort of invited myself, uh, onto the mail and was able to, to, to write these music columns, um, that led to something bigger in the weekly. And then, uh, at some stage when I was, uh, so I was getting into my thirties then. I started to think, okay, how much longer am I going to be playing records for people? Maybe I should be doing something a bit more serious. I mean, not that I didn't consider it serious, but I, I had the impression that maybe other people might not consider it so serious. And also in 1980, um, we had our first daughter. I have two children, two girls. And again, I started to think, well, you know, maybe I should be doing something and not necessarily for more money, but perhaps with more prospects. Um, so I suggested to the newspaper that if they ever decided to open an office in Limassol, because I, I, I lived here in Limassol, um, I would be interested in expanding uh, my contribution to the paper from music and the arts to other things as well. And eventually they did. Uh, so I began... Uh, running the Limassol office for the newspaper. So I started covering court cases and interviewing people from, you know, not just music, obviously. Um, being here was good because I actually managed to get quite a few contacts in the hotels. Uh, and so when they had somebody, you know, fairly well known staying there and that person wasn't averse to, you know, it being known that they were here, you do have to, uh, you know, respect people's privacy. And in fact, I always, this is why I didn't dare speak to David Bowie and a lot of other times as well. I mean, when people say, well, I'd rather not, I'd say, okay, that's fine. Um, they would sort of, you know, give me a call and say, hey, do you know, we've got this very famous actor staying here. And so I got some very good interviews in, in, in the hotels. I mean, when you were Give us some names. Me, give us some names. Oh, God, well, um, or who was your, the ones that maybe your favorite or most memorable? Well, looking back, and it, it is with hindsight, I have to say that I was very glad that I got to uh, interview George Michael, for example. Now, I interviewed George Michael, but actually he was, um, and he was in Cyprus, but he was, he'd only just uh, re released the first album by Wham. Okay. So he'd had Long time two, ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, what, mm. 83 it must have been. So he was a newcomer. And in fact, I remember I had a call one day at the office uh, from a girl who said, um, did you know that George Michael's in Cyprus? And I said, no. 
I didn't know who George Michael was. Oh, and, and he, of course, he was no, half Cypriot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I didn't know this at all. Mm. Um, I'd been playing, you know, uh, Wham Rap and uh, Young Guns, their first two hits on the radio, but I didn't know who they were. And uh, she said, well, he, he, I saw him last night. He was at a club and he said that he's staying at the Amethyst Beach Hotel. And I thought maybe you'd be interested in talking to him. I said, well, thank you very much. Yes. Uh, sort of, I, I, I remember checking the, the album cover because I had the album and thinking, ah, yeah, he, yeah, one of them does look, uh, does look a bit Cypriot. So I went to the hotel and um, went to the reception desk and said, hi, I've come to see um, uh, Mr. Michael. Oh, sorry, sir. We don't have anybody with that name. Oh, oh, really? Um, Yorgos Mikhail, maybe? No, no, sorry. With me, I had the latest issue of the New Musical Express, the English music paper, and they were on the cover. So I... I had it with I had it with me, and I showed it to this girl, and I, and I pointed to Andrew Ridgely, and said, "You know, you haven't got this man staying here." And she said, "Oh, you mean Mr. Panayotu?" And yeah. pointed to the other one, and I, and I sort of said, "Oh, yes, yes, sorry." You know, I mean, it was I actually looked at that them, was his, and that I thought was Andrew name. Ridgely, who was more suntanned or whatever. I thought he must be the Cypriot. Oh, you thought, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I compl yeah. completely confused. Anyway, so, um, yes, so, so she said, oh, he's, uh, he's uh, down at the swimming pool. So I went down there, introduced myself. He said, okay, let me just finish. He was surrounded by women, or girls, I should say. Um, we went to his room, and, you know, what I had expected was, okay, you know, this guy, he's had two hits. You know, he's very popular with the girls. You know, another pop brat, probably. Mm -hmm. Yeah, spoiled and Yeah, again. yeah. I was so impressed. You can't imagine. He talked to me a lot about his songwriting. How, I mean, I remember asking him, I remember saying something like, um, <clears throat> at the moment, um, you know, your main rivals are bands like Duran Duran and Culture Club, you know. I mean, how long do you think it, you know, can, it's going to last? And he said, I don't think it's going to last very long like this, but um, I want to be a songwriter and write for other artists. And he actually told me about a song which was very different from the stuff they'd been doing and which he was going to bring out later uh, called Careless Whisper. Imagine. It actually took 18 months for that to come out because he had, was then in a, mm. a dispute with a record company and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the thing that impressed me most was that he was obviously very aware of what he wanted to do, very knowledgeable of the business and what, uh, and if you like, the, 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 the lifespan of a boy band or a pop group at the time. And his ambitions were clearly, you know, far greater than yeah, that. Yeah, more than that. And of course, and I say, I say this with hindsight because he was, sorry, he was right at the start of his career there. And although he gave me an impressive interview and I went away thinking, well, yeah, I didn't expect this. Um, you know, I don't think either me, maybe he did envisage what he was going to become. Yeah. I didn't. And of course, he turned into this superstar, you know. At the time, uh, the most famous Cypriot uh, uh, if you like, or, or, or singer 
of Cypriot origins with Cat Stevens. Uh, I interviewed him twice, once as Cat Stevens, and later when he had uh, become uh, Yusuf Islam, because uh, he, he, he changed his religion and everything. Uh, on both occasions, he was charming. And, and he, he's of Cypriot origin. Yes, yes. His real name is, um, his real name is Stephen Yoriu. His father was wow. a Greek Cypriot. Yeah, the first time I met him, I actually... I didn't know that. Or really? If I, yeah. if I had. No, I'm learning Yeah, 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 wow. yeah, yeah. Stephen, you're you. His father was from a village in Paphos. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when I... I don't know, I don't remember now how I knew he was here, but I remember I actually went and sat outside the hotel until he arrived home after a trip to Paphos with his dad at about 10 o'clock in the evening. And I sort of saw him coming in and I said, oh, you know... Um, I w- wonder if I could speak to you. Uh, I'm from a paper. He said, N- "Well, n- you know, I'm sorry, man, but you know, we're here. I, I-, I really don't want to talk to the press." You know, I said, "Well, I mean, it's uh, it's just a local paper." Oh, oh, oh! Uh, you- you're not from the-, the Daily Mail or something? I said, "No, no, no, no. This is Cyprus Mail. No, it's probably Cyprus Week. Actually, mm-hmm. yeah, it would have been Cyprus Week." Uh, and he said, "Okay," and he actually did sit down, and we did an interview. And so when he came back again, and it was another of those, you know, phone call, hey, do you know that Cat Stevens is here? Uh, he had a... He, oh, before GDPR. Yeah, he had a... He had a yeah. Uh, he, well, in fact, it was not from the hotel because he, by then, he had a, his own apartment. Okay. Uh, near in Yermas, near mm-hmm. Yermasoya. Uh, but one of the neighbours uh, called me and told me this. And uh, he was very gracious, very friendly, very nice, but... I was very disappointed by the interview because by that time he'd given up music. And the reason he'd given up music was that uh, having become a a practicing Muslim, he was obviously uh, interpreting the faith very strictly. And, you know, so I mean, I said, why have you given up music? Uh, And his answer was, well, in the Quran, it says, you know, the, you mustn't glorify yourself, and the music business is the worst kind of self-glorification. And so I would say, well, yes, but you know, you could use your position to influence other people, perhaps. Yes, but the Quran's, you know, mm-hmm. and and so it was. And I thought to myself, well, when you're talking to someone who whose answers and whose life, if you like, is now so firmly. Uh, attached and affixed to religion and what it says and what it doesn't, you're not really going to get very far. Uh, and so this, I was very pleased. I mean, what, maybe 10 years ago now, he actually did get back into music. Um, his son wanted to play the guitar. And he came round to thinking, well, you know, why shouldn't he? And in fact, I did interview him, but not in person, on uh, on the telephone a third time, when he was back in music. And I said, I don't suppose you remember, but you actually told me this and this some years ago. And he said, yeah, I think it was because the people that I was surrounded by at the time were very uh, strict. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think that their interpretation of the scriptures was not necessarily the correct one, etc. And he actually found a way of using his talent and his music 
um, to help people. And, you know, he, he's done a lot for these Muslim schools in the UK and everything. It just goes to show how influence is one thing, but it's also to do with the time of your life and yeah, how yeah, yeah. susceptible you are to certain people. That's right. Being, yeah. I mean, involved. so, uh, I mean, so he's now, uh, he's doing, con he was actually doing a concert in Turkey. I mean, just a couple of months ago, um, a, a charity a fundraiser. Uh, he, he sounds fantastic, you know, mm. still does. Uh, he can still do it. But so he was one of the, at the time, he was certainly the, the, probably the most famous person that I'd got to know. I mean, um, there were others too. I, I remember once uh, and, and others that I mentioned that sometimes, you know, you can't do it and you have to be, to respect people's privacy. I remember I discovered that um, Emma Thompson was on holiday in Cyprus. You know, I just met her last really? week in London and she told me that she was here. So, yeah, she said that she was here 20 years ago, so 1983. <laughs> that will be it. Yeah. yeah, there you go. She came with her daughter, Gaia Wise, and um, uh, she could not remember which hotel she stayed in. She was staying in, Paf I think she was in Paphos, and she may well have been at the Anasa. No, yes, which was, I think no, it was, was, well, it, was it built then? Oh, well, 20 years ago, one yeah, minute. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, it yes, it was. It opened in Well, in I, it was one of those it? things where... Yeah. I was there. Uh, you go. So there you go, Gaia. If you listen to this, you know where your well, mommy and you stay. <laughs> yeah, and in fact, what happened was that uh, I discovered that she was here, um, and so I, I, I think I called. I, I had a number which I called, and there was no answer. And so then I then I had to go. Probably I had to go to work on the radio or something. When I came home. Uh, Sula, my wife, my second wife now, um, said, oh, somebody called, uh, some, somebody was asking for you. Somebody called, Emma called. And I said, no, no, he's not here. Um, you know, uh, shall I tell him you rang and all this kind of thing? I said, Emma, I don't know. Anybody. Oh my God. Oh, it must have been Emma Thompson. Oh, oh, she said, you know, oh dear. I mean, I said, uh, you know, I tried to, you know, well, who are you and <laughs> who are why you? do you want to talk? <laughs> talk to my husband. And so I did call and she did How answer. Hilarious. And it was her and it was her. And, uh, and she said, um, you know, I, I, I called you to say thank you and I'm, I'm flattered for your interest, but, you know, we're here on holiday and I really don't want to you know, to, to, to do any interviews. I'm, I, I, it's a chance to get away from all that. And I said, you know, that's fine. Yeah. And we actually, isn't they, that lovely we that then talked on back. the phone, you know, for about 20 minutes, which of course I didn't use and, and, and I would not have used, but yes, yes. I mean, I thought this, it was really nice. And I have to say that one of the things I've discovered over the years is that the people who really are those that, you know, you and I would say, oh, wow, you know, superstar or absolute, you know, national, whatever. They are the ones that make you believe that you are actually, that they are interested in you. They make it feel as if you've known them for ages uh, and, you know, they're almost your best friend. Those who think that they are someone or they may be on the way to being someone, they're but actually they're not someone. there yet. Are very often the ones who behave in a, you know in in a in a quite a maybe not a nasty way, but uh, you know it, it, it's always good. I mean, they do say you should never meet your idols, don't they? But 
in my uh, experience, the ones, I don't think I've had any real idols in that sense, although I'd put Paul McCartney into that class, but I've never met him. But the people that I have met who, you know, really are somebody, inevitably they've been, you know, really nice, really down to earth, no airs and graces at all. I have had some experiences of people, even Cypriots, and, you know, you think, well, why on earth? Are they, who do they think they are, yeah. honestly? Um, so, I, 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 yeah, I agree completely because yeah. I've seen all sorts in the hotel I'm sure come you and have. stay. I'm sure you have. And some yeah. of them, you just think, like, it's amazing. They're outrageous. Yeah. But then others are so down to earth and just so nice. Eros Ramazzotti was staying here. Right. And he he spoke to everyone. He, I mean, he was the definition of a musician. He sang all day. He should have, it should have been a musical. He was waiting for the elevator. He'd burst into song. You know, we have these beautiful glass elevators in the hotel. He'd be there moving, <laughs> singing in his room, walking to breakfast. He was just singing all the time and just so pleasant. Yeah, and yeah. then other people, you know, some Greek stars who are, you know, B or C list at most will come in with their airs and graces and yeah, oh, I know. terrible and, and, and expect everything should be free. Left even through back doors without paying their bills. Um, yeah, yeah, I, crazy. I, yeah, I don't know uh, wh why it should be. I mean, I've never really understood what makes people become like that, uh, unless you know the pressure eventually is too much, and they—I don't know. But as I, as I think they're they're playing the part. You know, they're, they're walking the walk, playing, talking the talk. That maybe isn't them. It's not in their nature, and they're so afraid of people seeing. The Could person be. behind it. So, be. I mean, nowadays it's referred to a lot, I think, as imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, that, that's Although, what I mean, that is normally something which, you know, you, uh, nice lady that you are, uh, are thinking, uh, you know, why is it, why are these people being so nice to me? I mean, I'm, I'm not really, you know, or why, listen, I mean, I, I think everybody, when you gain a certain amount of success in anything, you yourself know whether you are actually up to it. You know, I, you mentioned some of the things that I've done in the journalism side. Um, after I worked, okay, I did my music stuff for the Cyprus Mail, then more stuff for the Cyprus Weekly. And I was eventually tempted away from the Weekly uh, to run a new English language newspaper which was intended to be a, a rival, if you like, a competitor of Cyprus Weekly. Um, and it took a long time for me to agree to go because I think I'm, uh, I am a, sort of a loyal person and I'm not going to just jump because somebody says, you know, I'll give you more money. Mm -hmm. In the end, um, I did decide, okay, maybe it's time, you know, for me to be, I, I, I'd, I'd risen to deputy editor of the of the weekly so becoming a chief editor was kind of an, an, a, a logical step if natural like. progression yeah however um i was actually made chief editor and general manager of the newspaper now i can and which newspaper was this, this was the it was called the cyprus review okay uh, 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 the weekly review and then it was changed to the cyprus review um, and I later did a, a live TV program called The Weekly Review as well. That's another thing. But the reason I mention this is that th that paper, it folded after two years. One of the reasons, I think, was that although 
I would never have any problem in saying, I can do a great job as an editor for you. Don't worry. I can write, I can interview, I can correct, I can do this. I knew absolutely nothing about the business side of it. I, I didn't know anything about advertising. And suddenly I was in charge of it. I mean, I put somebody to do it, you know, mm -hmm. but it was not something. And there, um, if there was ever a time when I might have had a little feeling about imposter sy syndrome, it was then, you know, because I'd been given this position. And I think only half of it was really what I knew mm -hmm. inside myself that I was good at. I mean, of course, we all need chances and, and, and it's good to learn on the job uh, in certain cases. And I'm sure that what I'm doing now, later I, I became, the, I was the first editor of Time Out Cyprus, and then um, eventually Gold Magazine, which uh, started from the beginning. And all of this um, previous experience was what led to me being able to do what I've been doing for the last 12 years. Absolutely. Failure is the biggest lesson. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it was. I mean, the fact that, and the reason the, 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 the paper folded, I mean, it was for financial reasons. You know, uh, there was a plan to, if we got, you know, this number of, of readers and this amount of advertising, then we would be okay. And we didn't get the ad the advertising, and I was not the person <laughs> who could tell them how to do it. I mean, I couldn't sell myself, you know. I mean, uh, if I had to, so um, yeah. I, I, but all of these things, yes, as you say, you know, you, you you have to go through these things in order to be able to get onto the next rung of the ladder, mm -hmm. if you like, and uh, and and succeed at it. And yet over the years, from what you're saying, you did develop a lot of courage and definitely the capability to go and ask people, can I have the interview? While, of course, still being very polite and, oh, yeah. and appreciative of their time and um, their, their privacy. But you did have that, that energy and that courage to be able to do it. So where did that come from? Well, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not sure I agree that it's necessarily courageous. I mean, uh, you know, there are people who, if they see somebody in your hotel, you know, they'll say, oh, that's him. You know, they'll go up to and say, you know, hello, you know, I've been listening to you for... Uh, sometimes it's confidence, sometimes it's arrogance. Sometimes yes, yes. it's, you know, it could be, but it does, I think definitely from someone who might have been quite shy, um, it still, it is, it is courageous to go outside of your comfort zone, and for I, I everyone, agree. it's not necessarily. You're right. Innate. I think though. I think though that um, you know, if if I go back, I mean, to try and find a logical development, I would say to you, okay, when I was a teenager, um, I started singing in a in a group. Okay, so I would get up, you know, with my best friend who was also a singer. And we had a band and we would play to people. At the university, as I said, I would get up on my own as a singer and with the guitar. Uh, I took the decision, you know, to, to go and take part in that song competition in France, which that itself didn't work, but it showed me that I must have some kind of talent, you know, because this guy... And opportunities gave How me this opportunity. Can you come. See? Yeah, so, your way. So, in that sense, um, although I, I agree with you that I'm not really, and you know, not saying hi to David Bowie <laughs> proved it. I was never 
a person to sort of think about going up to an unknown person or approaching somebody and saying, hello, you don't know me, but even if it was in a professional capacity, you know, for, a, for an interview for a paper or something, uh, I think those steps uh, kind of helped me from being somebody who wouldn't want to talk to anybody else because, and also being on the radio, of course. I mean, I was, I was on my own in the studio for years and years, but I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of people out there. So, you know, you're talking, it's as if you're talking to people you don't know. So, yeah. I, so, I, so I don't think, I, I don't think of it, you know, as being particularly courageous of me to get into the position where I had to call somebody that I didn't know and say, uh, hi, I am who I am and I would be interested to talk to you and, and this kind of thing. I mean, it's part of, it's part of what I needed to do. What you need so, to do to get to the, yeah, yeah, yeah. get to the end goal. And also, sorry, an, an, another music thing, and, and I didn't include this, it's not usually included on my professional biographies, but um, the music thing, again, it was always the hobby, okay? Uh, it meant that in uh, 1975, I was asked to set a poem to music. Uh, That's which, nice. Yeah, well, the the lady who was the head of uh, radio or head of the international programs at Cy Cyprus Broadcasting Corporation, was also a writer. And she'd been in Cyprus for a, a long time. And she wrote this poem, which was actually published in a government-funded magazine following the invasion. It was about what happened in Cyprus. And she gave this to me one day and said, you know, do you think you could set this to music? And maybe... Uh, we could send it to somebody like Cat Stevens. You see, there we are. <laughs> come back to this, uh, which seemed to me a bit unlikely given the, the the subject matter. But I said I'd give it a try, um, and I did. And uh, I was asked to when I'd finished this thing, and it was a kind of an epic thing. It was nine minutes long. Uh, I was asked if I to to perform it somewhere in front of an audience in Nicosia, and I did. And in the audience, among the people there, was a TV producer from the Cyprus Broadcasting Corporation who had previously asked me if I could maybe write some little bits of incidental music to go on a, a documentary he was making. Uh, and I'd started working on that. I mean, I, I, I sort of hesitated to use the word write because I never, was never able to write music. I mean, self-taught. But, you know, I make mm -hmm. up the, the music. Yeah, yeah, create the music. I sang this song to this audience. He was there. And afterwards, he came up to me and said, forget, forget the music. I want this song. This is, I want this for the film, for the documentary. And uh, he used it. And the reaction, I mean, you know, days after this was screened on television, was just unbelievable. I mean, people wanted, you know, where can we get this song? So I actually went to Greece because there was no recording studio in, in Cyprus at the time and recorded it and brought it out as a single. And it quickly turned into the biggest selling single ever in Cyprus. Wow. But it was completely different from the stuff that I knew and liked. I mean, so that it took me on to a different thing. But it was kind of, it was odd. It was, I mean, I, I had never thought that if ever I had made a record, it would be that. I didn't actually make my first record of my own pop songs, if you like, until 1979. But eventually that led to uh, 
a rather bumpy ride to 1990 when uh, I wrote the song for Eurovision for Cyprus. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, it didn't do very well. We came 14th, you know, which sounds quite good nowadays. But Nowadays, I mean, that sounds amazing. There were only, about, yeah. you know, there were only about 20 countries at, yeah. at the time. So well, it was, it's not it, bad. it was disappointing. But um, Which song was that? Milas Poli. Milas Poli. Which was uh, specifically, I mean, I thought I, you know, I really thought I was being clever uh, in that I specifically wrote it in the style of Stock Aitken and Waterman, who were huge at the time. You know, they got Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan and all these songs. And but don't forget, especially then, it was so political, the votes and everything else. Well, you so know, I, I think 14 sounds no, you a know, very, I, very good. Because because I was always involved in Eurovision, because I went to 10 Eurovision song contests myself, once as a backing singer, once as a uh, joining the commentator on the, on the TV commentary, and uh, once as the songwriter and, and performing in the backing group, and the other times uh, for the Cyprus Weekly as a reporter. And, you know, I always, I always used to reject this idea about the politics of it. Uh, I mean, okay, I mean, Cyprus and Greece were the worst offenders anyway. Uh, but I, but, I always but remember I Terry that. Wogan. Do you remember oh, Terry Wogan? Oh, yeah, of course. And every time you go, there's a surprise. <laughs> yeah, 12 points. Well, you see, I mean, I, I, I genuinely uh, explained that as, look, these are the only two countries who speak the same language. Every singer and every song that is a hit in Greece is a hit in Cyprus. We know these singers. We know these songs. This is their music. It's natural that they're mm -hmm. going to do it. Um, and in fact, uh, I think in, I don't think Greece gave us 12 when it was my song. That's for sure. I was, anyway, I was, uh, and I also said, okay, it's the same thing goes for the Scandinavian countries. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Because yeah. a, a, a Swedish singer has success in, in Norway and Denmark and Finland. I mean, it's the language, it's the culture, it's this and this and this. So the, 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 the idea that it's all politics and we know, and they're all going to vote for this, you know, uh, I never... I didn't always, sometimes I thought, yeah, it sounds a bit like that, but I never wanted to believe it, to be honest. Um, but I was really expecting, you know, uh, wait for the UK vote, you know, because this is, I mean, it may be in Greek, but, you know, this could be one of those guys singing it. And I think we, I don't know, I don't remember now, I have to check the books. I don't even know if we've got any votes. Maybe we've got two or three from the UK. Um, but it gave me, Two fantastic things to remember. One is the fact that I had been in Cyprus for, what, less than 20 years. And here I was re re representing the representing country. Representing country. My such adopted an country, if It's such like. an important event yeah, well, for Cyprus. I mean, it, for Cyprus. And I mean, you know, in, in its own way, it's a huge event. It is. So, I mean, that was fantastic. And the other thing, more personal, if you like, was that in those days, uh, you were not allowed to, uh, there were no backing tracks allowed. It was live. And even though that song was, I mean, it was done in the studio and it was with, it was with synthesizers and it was, you know, it had to be performed by a symphony orchestra. And when you're a songwriter, uh, you know, I mean, and we could go on for hours about songwriting as well and where these things come from and where the inspiration comes from and how it arrives. but 
when you're a songwriter, you know, at some point you sit down and you end up with a, a page with words on it and a tune in your head. For you to hear that thing, which you might have done, you know, in an hour in your bedroom or something, played to millions of people by a symphony orchestra. I mean, it's just fantastic, really. I mean, it, it, it's magical, honestly. Uh, it, I guess it's like, you know, when, you, when you're a kid and you may be, you're good at drawing and painting and you eventually end up one day as an artist and you've got your own exhibition, really. Uh, right. it, it, it was like that. In a I mean, capital I, or something. You know, yeah. and, you know, who cares if we won or lost? I mean, for me, just being there and at the rehearsal, I remember the first rehearsal, you know, I was in, just sitting there in the stalls of the, of the theatre and seeing this conductor and the orchestra there and they were playing, you know, your song. This song, yeah. I mean, it was great. It's it was, amazing. Yeah, well, yeah. it really does show that anything, anything is possible. Opportunities lie where we least expect it. Oh, I, I absolutely believe this. Definitely. And the main thing is to be open to them. And I yeah. think from your story, I mean, the main take that I have is that, firstly, if you do what you love, you're always going to succeed and you're going to find happiness. And also to be just adventurous and courageous, I would say, even though you've humbly declined the use of that word, but to be open to those opportunities and to allow life to show you what's available and grab it when you can. It's, it's, it, listen, I asked you before we came, are, you gonna, are there certain things you want to ask me? And you said, yeah, I'll ask you how, you know, how did you get to Cyprus and all this? And you said, do you have any favorite quote? Um, and do you have any advice for the people who might be listening? For my favorite quote, I said, all you need is love. Beatles song, of course, but it's a good but quote, it's, isn't it's, it? You know, the best quote. But I am really astonished about what you just said, and you will understand why. Because my answer to your question, if I have any advice for listeners, people who are listening, I, I, I thought I am not a person really who tends to give advice to anybody, to be honest. I mean, this is why... You won't find me on Facebook. You won't find me on Instagram. You won't find me on social media offering my views and opinions about anything. Uh, I mean, I will express, you know, I'll tell you what I think about things if you ask me. But I, I, I'm not the kind of person who, even if I've read things and I've I been impressed by things, that I'll say, you really have to see this. You've really got to read this. You really, really, really... I thought to myself, ah, I know what I can say. I need to tell you that right now I'm in the middle of recording a new album, songs that I wrote 50 years ago. That's amazing. They were written between 1969 and 1972. They were things that I never recorded later because I've made, what, five or six albums. But only two or three of them were ever recorded. Because, you know, you write things and you, I think it's natural that you always think that your latest stuff is better than your old stuff. So anyway, for various reasons, I've come back and I'm actually recording right now. And at some point later this year, I will come and see you again and I'll bring you a copy. Please do. But, uh, and so I wanted to say, and it suddenly occurred to me, uh, although I may not be a person who gives advice in the normal sense of the word, uh, 
One of the songs that I wrote in 1971, and which I am now recording, says this, and now you'll know why I'm so I'm amazed at what you just said to me. This is the chorus: "Life is what you make it, though some have got it made. You see your chance and take it while you can. Life is for the keeping as long as it will last. So make your dreams." And look out for that promised land. And the fact that I'm recording this suggests to me another piece of advice, which you have just given: is never too late never for too anything. Late. Anything. Fifty years late. later, here I am, going back to this thing that I wrote as a twenty-year-old. You know, it's it, it, oh, my hairs have stood up now. Yeah, but you, you got it. I mean, you you more or less <laughs> you, you, you more or less said what I've just said to you, which is from this song, which you have yeah. never heard, and I didn't mention it to you. So this is um, this is quite quite astonishing that it's never too late to be who you were always meant to be. That's true. Yes, and I, I think I th- David Bowie said that. I'm going to look that up, but I think that's his quote. Uh, that, uh, that's a, a a good one. Uh, yeah. I hope it's not too late, yes. It's definitely not too late. John, on that note, I want you to pick one of these questions. It's the last question okay. and it's a bonus question. So I didn't write these. Ah, all right. I'll read it out to you though. Okay, okay. Um, but our team at St. Raphael Resort and Marina put together random questions. They don't know who's going to get them. And so this is from Sagis, um, who's now working in our tower reception and he said what sort of improvement would you like to see regarding hotel staff so this one is very specific this is a hotel thing yeah it's a hotel thing some of them are more general but this one so yes as i mentioned to you when you were coming in we're called hotel talk just showing how interesting hotel communities are and it brings together so many people and you yourself in your career have been to so many hotels where lots of your interviewees have been staying and um, I saw you last at a hotel and I got the idea to have you on here. So yeah, so you are a person who goes to many hotels. So what sort of improvement would you like to see regarding hotel staff in general? I'm really not sure if I can answer that question. (laughs) I was thinking this morning, I mean, uh, before I I came. Rather than what impresses you about hotel staff? Okay, well, I I was going to say, first of all, I don't think that before I came to Cyprus, I had ever stayed in a hotel. Wow. Yeah. I mean, in England, I mean, we never, when I was a kid, we, no, we, we never went to, we never stayed in hotels on holiday. Mm. Um, it's kind of day trips, I think. Uh, what, I think once we, uh, my parents had rented a, a place um, somewhere in, in, on the East Coast. I don't think I, I was trying to work out when did I ever stay? When did I stay in my first ever hotel? And I honestly can't remember. Um, Maybe when you came here. It may well have been after I came here. Yeah. Uh, possibly when I went back to England or something or went on a trip. I mentioned Eurovision. I, I went to 10 Eurovision con- song contests. And apart from the things I just mentioned about when it was my own song, um, really all I remember is the hotels in those places, you know. I mean, I can if, if you say to me, oh, have you ever been to Sweden? I say, yeah, yeah, sure. Have you ever been to Germany? Yes, yes. I can say all this, but actually I spent most of my time either in the theatre, uh, going through the rehearsals for the show, or at the hotel. Um, I could say also that the 
most amazing hotel I ever stayed at was in Monte Carlo. Um, and it was also the most... Do you remember the name? Which one? Um, I do, actually, because until I got there, I didn't know how to pronounce it. So it was Loves, L-O-E-W-S. Uh, I was, the, the reason I was there was, uh, and the reason I remember it, not only because it was probably the biggest I'd ever been to, was that um, it was also the first time I had ever been invited to a conference abroad where I was, I had all my expenses paid and I was putting up in this amazing place. This hotel is the one that has a tunnel underneath it and the Monte Carlo Rally goes along that, uh, under that tunnel under the hotel. Uh, and it was absolutely massive. I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, to me, a hotel was a you it's know about the experience. a place where you go and uh, you ha you have you have a bedroom and you have dinner. The, you know, you mm. have breakfast in the morning, um, which is what they used to be. But I think which is now what it's, they used to be absolutely it's so much more. It's about the experience yeah. now and I the mean, people. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I mean, as I say, I cannot. I'm not really. I mean, I've, the the most recent ones I've ever stayed at would be the. Um, the ones at uh, Heathrow Airport, actually. I've stayed at airport hotels. A lot. Because, amazingly, ironically, if you like, they are uh, two of them. I mean, the, the, uh, what is it? The uh, can't remember the names now. One is the Hilton, which is actually outside, uh, some distance away from, from Heathrow Airport. And the other is the... Um, which one is it? There used to be a Sheraton. No, it's not Sheraton. No, yeah. the Heathrow... Um, can't remember. Anyway, um, they're actually the quietest hotels I've ever stayed in. I mean, you can't believe, you know, you're near, yeah. near an airport. You're near Heathrow Airport. Amazing. Yeah, I've stayed, I think, at Hilton. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. And um, I mean, so the things that impress me now, I mean, uh, are that, as you say, yes, I mean, you know, they've got shopping centres, they've got gyms, they've got spas, they've got everything. Um, I, I confess that really I still tend to go there, you know, just so I can get a nice sleep and I can read the paper at breakfast in the morning. I'm not, I'm not your ideal guest in that sense. Uh, but um, I'm very well aware that Cyprus and indeed Limassol uh, has always had the reputation for its five-star hotels. That's abs absolutely sure. And uh, even back in the day, you know, when I came in 1972, where we are here today, right now, sitting here in your, in your studio, there was nothing here. Uh, in fact, when I came, before I came in July 72, I sent a letter to the people who were building the Amethyst Beach Hotel asking if there might be a job for me. Because I didn't know what I was going to do. I, would, I decided I'm going to come to Cyprus. As I said, no mm. idea what I was going to do. And in those days, people were still asking, why are they building a hotel out there? I mean, it was the, it middle, was of the middle of nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, I mean, you know, Limassol kind of stopped where today... I think uh, before Gaan, like... Yeah. Well before Gaan. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. What I had people would get to Gaan factor and say we're nearly there. That's right. I mean, I think if you got to Yermasoya Bridge, mm. then you know you were getting out of Limassol mm -hmm. by then. Um, 
And of course, yeah, things have you know changed so much, absolutely everywhere. And uh, I mean, I, I I'm very happy to tell you that over the years, uh, and not only recently, I've been uh, a frequent visitor to the Sailors Rest restaurant here and the marina from when it opened. I remember way back when. And I've been here with with friends and with my children, uh, and lots of times. Never stayed at this place, uh, but we can always arrange something. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that that can be fixed. Uh, but I'm as, happy you like sailors. So you must try Golden Monkey as well. Okay. Yes. I mean, mm-hmm. I've not even yeah. seen it. Yeah. So, uh, but I I remember actually reading. I think we had something about it in the magazine, or mm-hmm. you mentioned it when we interviewed you at some time. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, I I cannot. You know, I'm I'm really not in a position to say how could hotels be better. I mean, I think virtually all of the hotels that I've ever stayed in, I've I've never left a place thinking, oh my god, you know what was that? Uh, and of course, it would be tragic if I, I or anybody else ever did. You know, I don't think that would ever happen here. I don't think that would ever happen. And I well, don't, definitely I'm not in, here. Not in goodness. yours, that's for sure. And I and I you know I mean star ratings obviously mean something, mm. and in a country and in a, a city like Limassol where tourism is so important, and visitors are so important, and reputation is so important, I mean you really do have to maintain the standards that I'm sure you know you insist upon from your staff and everybody. I think so. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate it. Thank you for My your pleasure. time. My pleasure, not at all. And um, we can't wait to follow Gold and so many other things that you're doing and see your album. So we wish you all the success in the world. I'll be back with you. Thanks a lot. I can't wait. Thank you. Thank you.